Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, July 24th, 2014. Another one of those programs that is going to be all over the map. Summer creates this weird distortion. Can't quite seem to figure out how to make the different pieces work into a theme. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which... Help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down, stop, open up our Bible, and, well, you know, actually compare what God's Word says to what popular pastors, preachers, conference speakers, authors, you know, folks like that, that the evangelical industrial complex puts forward as, well, the next best thing since sliced bread. Um, but the reality is, is we don't need the next best thing since sliced bread. We need pastors who will faithfully preach and rightly handle and teach God's Word, because Scripture makes it clear that sound doctrine matters. So uh, that's kind of the whole premise of the program. And if you're new to the program, um, I would say this. This program, yeah, it can feel like the theological equivalent of a cold bucket of water in the face. I apologize for that shocking sensation. Unfortunately, uh, we've got to go to extreme measures to kind of wake you up, startle you, if you would. And the things that we play here are not the lunatic fringe, although from time to time we do get some lunatic fringe that folk we put on here. I would say like William Tapley, he's clearly out on the lunatic fringe. But many of the people that we feature here are in the mainstream of uh, evangelical teaching and preaching, and uh, that's a real problem. Okay, so let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Like I hinted at at the beginning of the program, we are definitely going to be all over the map today. There is no theme today, so those of you who would like to try to figure out the theme for each episode of Fighting for the Faith, and yes, each episode has a theme unless I state otherwise. This episode, on the other hand, does not have a theme. This is... Yeah, it feels this one kind of feels like a Friday program because on Fridays you know, usually we get the you know kind of some of the crazy leftovers and throw it together, but we we still got some of that to get to tomorrow. But here's what we're gonna do: um, we're going to introduce some new uh, how shall I put it money grubbing televangelist update music. Uh, from time to time we have to change it up, and so I'm gonna introduce a new song that we'll be using uh, as we do our money-grubbing televangelist update. And we're going to kind of start off with the crazy 
and uh, and work our way up, uh, if you would. And uh, <laughs> somebody put a, a a link on my Facebook wall to a guy by the name of Michael Chitwood. If you <laughs> never heard this guy, um, yeah, you might want to assume the crash position. That's all I'm saying. This the, listening to him may not be safe while uh, operating heavy equipment. But uh, we're, we'll have our first exposure to him. Uh, he's got a YouTube channel, and he's got some kind of ministry that he's putting out there on YouTube. But this guy is, is a bona fide nut job. And uh, so, but we'll kind of make the point here uh, in our first exposure to Michael Chitwood. I'm hoping that we see more of him <laughs> because this guy, it seems like he, to me like he's kind of cut from the old school pattern of money grubbing televangelists, you know, the kind of the slick, greasy, you know, white Southern Baptist, but really not Southern Baptist, but spirit field Pentecostal down from down under, you know, down yonder kind of that kind of guy. Yeah. And uh, he's got, we're going to be listening to him uh, talk about how he wants people to send Bibles to his ministry, but wait till you hear what the Bibles are for. I mean, you're thinking if somebody needs you to send Bibles, then the goal is to get those Bibles into the hands of people so they can read and hear and you know understand God's Word. Not so with Michael Chitwood. And you're thinking, well, what is he going to use those Bibles for? Yeah, stay tuned. You're going to find out. And uh, while we're still under the umbrella of money-grubbing televangelists, uh, Kenneth Copeland has weighed in on his ministry website regarding the death of of uh, Tony Palmer, mm-hmm. Tony Palmer, who died over the weekend in a uh, motorcycle accident in the UK. Um, well, um, <clears throat> Kenneth Copeland on his website, uh, the uh, Ken Kenneth Copeland Ministries dot org. He's got a little blog going on there. Uh, he in in his news section, uh, it says Kenneth Copeland honors Bishop Tony Palmer. So we're going to get to hear what uh, Kenneth Copeland had to say about the late Tony Palmer. And while we're still under the uh, money-grubbing televangelist umbrella, uh, sometime we'll probably have to take a break in there. We've got a, a headline from ChristianHeadlines.com where it says, Alabama Megachurch opens bowling alley and climbing wall. Yeah, Ala- <laughs> bowling alley and climbing wall. Yeah, okay. And uh, so while uh, you know doing a little research, well, what kind of Christian church would uh you know say you know open up a bowling alley and a climbing wall well we're going to find out we're going to listen to a little bit of the preaching of the pastor from this church Dr. Michael Moore and uh, listen to part of uh, his message entitled uh, reasons why Jesus was not poor yeah that's right if you have your pastor in the pulpit uh getting up and explaining to you that you know why Jesus wasn't poor Oh, you, you've got major problems on your hand, and it's time for you to find another church. But you'll kind of get the example of that. And if we have time, uh, then we will get to uh, the video of uh, how uh, Cindy Jacobs learned how to hear God's voice. If we don't get to that today, we will get to it tomorrow. And then in hour number two, we're going to head down to a purpose-driven church, I think Keystone Church, to hear a sermon about time management. I mean, did you know that the Bible teaches the importance of, you know, keeping a day planner and stuff like that? Well, apparently it does. So uh, that's going to be uh, what rounds out today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We have a lot of ground to cover. 
And uh, here is uh, the introduction of our new money-grubbing televangelist update music. We'll still use Dr. Teeth uh, from time to time, but we'll mix it up a little bit with this song. Here we go. I've got 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira. Now the Deutschmark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money, you can make a splash. Quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing like a newly minted pound. Everyone must angle for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that makes the world go round. You can keep your Marxist ways, but it's only just a phase. For it's money, money, money makes the world go That's right. That's Monty Python and the Money Song. Okay, so that's we're going to have that in our regular uh, rotation here at Fighting for the Faith. Now, this is our first exposure to this money-grubbing televangelist. His name is Michael Chitwood, and I think he's from Tennessee. <laughs> but uh, you're going to hear him asking people who are his uh, viewers to send him money for Bibles or to send him Bibles and is this because he plans on giving them to people so that they can read God's word, hear the gospel, you know, and that kind of stuff? No, no, yeah, no. Here's uh, Michael Chitwood to explain what he's going to do if you sow a seed into his ministry to help them come up with, get this, 1,000 Bibles. Yeah, here we go. You know what? I am so excited about what's happening here at ICCM. You see this in my hand? This is a Bible. Follow me just a minute. Let me show you something here. Now, what you can't see in this video, he's outside of his ICCM Ministries building. And uh, and so he is outside, and it looks like he's approaching the front doors of ICCM. And, well, there's steps that lead up to the front doors. Okay, so he's holding a Bible in his hand, and he wants to show you something. And there's concrete steps that ascend up to the doors. We continue. We put a hundred Bibles under every one of this sidewalk here. When you step up, oh, I felt it right then, didn't you? I felt the power of God right then. Yeah, that's right. Uh, He took a hundred Bibles and basically um, buried them under the concrete stairs um, as you approach the front of his building. And as he stepped on one of the steps, he said, I felt it. Did you feel it right there? Yeah. So, uh, okay. When you step up onto the property here, there's a hundred Bibles outside. And then on the inside over there, we have 1,000 in the walls and in the floors. Now, a thousand Bibles in the walls and in the floors of your building. Um, how is that supposed to help somebody? I want you to do something. This in my hand is sharper than any two-edged sword. I've got to have a thousand Bibles for this new 1,500-seat sanctuary so that I can train young men and women. Here's what- So he wants you know, more than a thousand more Bibles. Is that because he's going to teach God's Word and uh, you know, you know, minister to people with these Bibles so they can read God's Word? What I want you to do. I want you to send me a hundred Bibles 
go buy a hundred Bibles. Or you can send a contribution of $200 and I'll go buy the Bibles for eight, nine, ten dollars I want to put a Bible in every wall under the platform in the bathroom. Listen. You want to put Bibles in the walls of the bathroom. How is that supposed to help somebody? You go to the bathroom here, you're going to feel the power of God. That's for sure. (laughs) So uh, while you're relieving yourself at ICCM, you're going to feel the power of God because they've got Bibles in the walls. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's that's right. Behind the stucco. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So you're going to feel the power of God. That's you, you know what this kind of reminds me of. I was trying to think of what the right metaphor is to describe what it is that I'm hearing here from Michael Chitwood. You know, work with me for a second. This is kind of a metaphor. Um, y'all familiar with you know from time to time, like cities like Chicago or Los Angeles, uh, the city council will approve a gun buyback, you know, initiative where the city, in order to help get you know guns off the street, will basically say, listen, no questions asked. You bring us a firearm, and we're going to buy it from you. you, know, you so it's a gun buyback program. So you can, you can bring one of those you know, uh, Saturday night specials in, and, and you'll get money for it. And it doesn't matter if it's stolen. And, no, it doesn't matter at all. You just sell – you just bring in – the gun they'll sell that you can sell it back to you know the police department and they'll give you some money and then they take all of those guns and they destroy them right this to me seems like the demonic equivalent of that except for rather than getting guns off the street what we're what the demons are accomplishing is getting bibles off the street you know the demons don't want people reading the word of god so i know let's get people foolishly and superstitiously think that you know they can have a liver shiver of the holy spirit because there's bibles in the walls of iccm so get those bibles off the street and let's get them into the walls of iccm yes this is a a demonic bible buyback program i want you to do something you've never done before i want you to sow a contribution a ministry of seed into this ministry so i can purchase bibles to put in every wall under the stage, in the microphone. God, I feel the power of God today. Do you feel it? Hey. No, I, I don't feel nothing. What I feel is sick to my stomach knowing that there's going to be perfectly usable Bibles taken out of the hands of people so they can read them and stuck in your walls under the superstitious nonsense that somehow people are going to feel the lightning power of God shooting through their veins while they're relieving themselves in your bathroom. It's coming to you. It's coming to you. I'll see you soon. Send me that $200 so I can buy the Bibles for you. That way you don't have to mail them to me. This is Michael Chitwood. You're right here at the ICCM headquarters, and we have the Holy Word of God in our hand, and we walk by faith. I'll see you soon, very soon. Uh, uh, Yeah, I hope not. So there you go. That's our first exposure to Michael Chitwood. And uh, why do I get the feeling that will not be our last exposure to Michael Chitwood? So uh, there you go. Yeah, there's a great idea. I mean, mean, how many of you folks go to a church where there's Bibles hidden in the walls so that you can feel the power of God while you're relieving yourself in your church bathroom? 
Can't make this stuff up. I mean, you seriously can't make this stuff up. So, all right, we're still under the uh, the uh, head, heading of money-grubbing televangelists. This is from the Kenneth Copeland Ministries website. Uh, Kenneth Copeland honors uh, Bishop Tony Palmer. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but although it's not very long. Uh, Kenneth Copeland writes, at 6.50 a.m. July 20th, 2014, my dear and longtime friend Bishop Tony Palmer departed this earth and went to be with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. While he was on earth, his and Emmy's ministry and anointing became a bridge between Catholics and Protestants. Actually, I would dispute that. It's not between Catholics and Protestants. It's between Catholics and Word of Faith heretics uh, in the charismatic movement. Uh, Tony had a major impact on the worldwide Catholic renewal in that role while ministering and teaching the Word of Faith in Argentina. That's right, Word of Faith heresy in Argentina. He met and became very close friends with Cardinal Bergoglio, who became, by the way, uh, Pope uh, Pope Francis. Their friendship grew stronger and stronger until they were more than friends. They became spiritual father and son in the Lord. Cardinal Bergoglio went on to become Pope Francis. In January of this year, Tony brought a personal video greeting from Pope Francis to all of us during our annual minister's conference in Fort Worth, Texas. There, Tony was being the bridge. It was a marvelous and very anointed moment in our Live, So that kind of gives you the overview. Well, it turns out he died. And uh, here's <clears throat> Kenneth Copeland's kind of punchline in this you know, honoring of Tony Palmer. Quote, we know that the devil is responsible for the attack on Tony's life. He tried to stop this worldwide move of coming together in Jesus as one. Too late, devil. The bridge is already built. It's a love bridge, a bridge that will never fail. And Gloria and I and all in this ministry are thrilled to stand strong on that bridge, uh, the, the bridge that Grace built through Tony Palmer. We love and miss you, dear boy. Jesus is Lord Kenneth Copeland. Yeah, so uh, Ken Copeland uh, yeah, make no, makes no bones about it. He truly does believe that... Um, that uh, the devil uh, had it out for uh, Tony Palmer for uh, uniting word of faith heretics and um <clears throat> and uh, Roman Catholics and now i i would say yeah it's probably true yeah that the devil had it out for Tony Palmer but not because uh Tony Palmer was uniting uh word of faith heretics and uh Roman Catholics um, it's because he succeeded at doing that and he served his purpose. And so I, I, if, if I had to interpret this, I mean, you know, this is not a very kind interpretation, but I mean, that's the thing, you know, if this is just my interpretation, take it or leave it. I'm pretty sure that the devil basically said, all right, Tony Palmer served his purpose. And since, uh, we don't want him having time to repent and to actually, uh, you know, disavow the word of faith heresy in Roman Catholicism, time to take him out while, the, uh, you know, while the uh, the heresy is still coursing through his veins. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure the devil was totally behind it, but not because uh, Tony Palmer was uniting uh, Word of Faith heretics and Roman Catholics. N- n- no, uh, the devil is actually the one behind that. Uh, instead, uh, it's because, well, Tony Palmer served his purpose, and you got to get, get him off this planet while he's still a heretic, uh, lest he repent and actually become a true believer. You, you know what I'm saying? So there we go. Um, that's that. And uh, again, we're still under the auspices of the uh, the general umbrella of uh, money grubbing televangelist. Um, 
Although this church, I don't know if the pastor is really a televangelist, but this is still, you're going to find out that he's really into the money thing. But uh, the headline reads, this is from ChristianHeadlines.com, Alabama megachurch opens bowling alley and climbing wall. Here's uh, the story. A megachurch in Alabama added an entertainment complex to its building, including a 12-lane bowling alley, climbing wall, basketball court, fitness center, arcade, and more. Faith Chapel Christian Center calls its addition, quote, the bridge, more bridge talks, a, a compound of six domes that houses the leisure space. So does, I mean, does your, well, here's my question. Um, you know, does the bridge, this uh, six dome leisure space at this um, Alabama megachurch, do they have thousands of Bibles in the wall, hidden in the walls so that people can experience the power of God while they're relieving themselves at the, in the church bathroom? Anyway, uh, Pastor Dr. Michael Moore says that the bridge was constructed to draw people to church. Quote, we believe we can really meet the needs of the community. It will bridge people from the world to the kingdom, Moore said. People may not want to come to a church, but they'll come to a bowling alley. Uh, people have needs other than spiritual needs, and there's a need for a safe, clean, up, uplifting, family-oriented uh, entertainment. Well, see, here's the deal. I mean, I've been to bowling alleys uh, throughout my lifetime, and one of the things I've noticed about bowling alleys is is that the uh, the regular patrons, uh, some of the things they enjoy doing at bowling alleys include drinking beer and smoking cigarettes and things like that. And, uh, you know, if this is going to be the kind of bowling alley where there's no beer and cigarettes smoking is not allowed, do they really ex- intend, you know, ex- you know, expect that the world is going to show up at the church's bowling alley? Um, <laughs> you, you know, do every time somebody makes a strike, I mean, do the animations on the, you know, on the on the scoring graphic on the televisions, uh, do they show angels, you know, singing hallelujah? I mean, yeah, anyway, <clears throat> the bridge also includes a teen dance club and an adult club with no smoking or alcohol. So, we'll see, that answers my question. See, if there's no smoking or alcohol in the adult club, I would assume there's no smoking and alcohol al- allowed in the uh, in the bowling alley, you know. And it also includes a banquet hall, an indoor playground, and a lookout. Uh, a lookout tower reports Christian today. The cost of the construction, get this, was twenty six million dollars 26 million dollars and it was funded exclusively by giving from the 6400 member congregation Moore said it's been a challenge our people are great givers tithes and offerings has been our only fundraising and it's been a miracle so i mean that kind of gives you an idea what's going on here now what we're going to do is we're going to take a break and when we come back from the break we're going to listen to a little bit of um Michael, Dr. Michael Moore's um, uh, preaching and teaching from the Faith Chapel Christian Center out there in Alabama, uh, Birmingham, Alabama, to be exact. And we're going to be listening to part of his uh, message entitled, Reasons Why Jesus Was Not Poor. Mm -hmm. This should tell you something about their theology. Uh, Who are the ones that make a big hoop to do and claim that the Bible teaches that Jesus wasn't poor? Well, those would be people who are into the Word of Faith heresy. So, um, yeah, $26 million, though, for a leisure and entertainment center. I mean, yay, Jesus. I'm sure people will be brought to penitent faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins because they've opened up a teen dance club and stuff like that. 
<clears throat> yeah, notice the sarcasm here. Uh, I would say that uh, we're dealing with people. This is the fruit of bad doctrine and teaching, and you'll see that in just a second. So, all right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Uh, we got the Dr. Michael Moore thing, and hopefully, I think we're going to actually make it get to, uh, how did Cindy Jacobs learn to hear uh, the Holy Spirit? Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents... Church Day Select. And now, Max Holiday's Birdcage here proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Now, Mildred. I have some very important information to show you in this next video. It's going to give you the tools necessary to know... If you're hearing directly from God. But anyways, Dr. Barbie, we are going to talk today about symbols. Yes, I like Because symbols. oftentimes God speaks in symbols. So outside of symbols, what are some of the ways that God speaks to his people? Well, major ways through his word. But his Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates to it through a symbolic language, through even signposts on the highways, through music through the dance, through nature. The other day I was at your home and a dove kept flying by the window. And to me it was the Holy Spirit bringing messages through the dove appearing, which represents the Holy Spirit. So as you can see, Mildred, God talks to us in many, many, many ways in everyday life. Which is why... I got you this. A Cracker Jack prize? Yes. I mean, no! Do you have any idea how many box tops I had to send in for this thing? Um, no. It was a lot. It doesn't matter. Anyway, what you see before you is, in fact, your very own Holy Spirit decoder ring. What does it do? What doesn't it do? When I turn it on, it has the ability to warn you when the Holy Spirit is trying to give you an important message. Like what? <laughs> I'll show you. We know that the Holy Spirit can talk to us in all kinds of ways. He could even be trying to send me a message through this radio right now. Hold on, let me change the station. for now. <laughs> Let me help you turn on the ring. 
I have a great idea. Why don't you take it out for a test drive? Aren't you gonna come with me? <laughs> you know I can't leave. Being under house arrest is so much fun. If I were to leave my house for more than 20 seconds, then the cops would show up and tase me again. And who wants that? Now here's how the ring works. When it beeps like this, that means that there's a sign that you need to see in the area around you. Um, Mr. Sunshine, when the ring goes off, how am I going to know what the message is? Trust me, you'll know. It'll be so obvious that you won't miss it. And on top of that, the ring will make this sound when you've guessed it correctly. It couldn't be simpler. You are now free to leave. I'm really sorry to have to bother you at your house. They told me that these sessions are a part of the pastor's vision and that if I don't go, it will be a sin against God. You think that somebody under house arrest would be free from any and all ministerial obligations, but no! I guess that would make too much sense. I'm sorry that I caused you so much pain. It's all your... I mean, not your fault. <laughs> my, my, look at the sun. It's time for you to go. Have fun with the decoder ring! This is gonna go off. I see a McDonald's. I see a sign twirler dressed up as a hot dog. And I see the town park. You want me to go to the park? Okay. There's a dog eating grass, his owner is picking up the poop, and there's a bird flying towards the road. Is the bird a message? The little bird just got hit by the truck. I think I get the message. see now is a couple having a picnic by the pond. You are such a jerk! I think they just broke up. Um, there's a tetherball court. But there's no tetherball or rope. It's just a pole. I, I don't see any kind of message here. I think you're broken. I'm gonna take you off my finger now. Oh no, it's stuck. I'm gonna have to go get some soap from the bathroom. I can't let you do that, Mildred. Oh dear, it's become self-aware. Mildred, you and I are bonded as one. I am an instrument here to reveal his secrets to you. I will deliver his messages to you for it is his will that you should know them. We are going to be together. Forever. 
Don't pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Morning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your favorite televangelist, which is a good thing. It'll probably save you a ton of money. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring this reach outreach to you into the world. And no, we can't promise that God's going to bless you. Nope, we don't sell prayer hankies or anything like that. What we can promise is that by supporting us, we will keep doing what we're doing and warning people and teaching them to biblical discernment, you know, to discern what teachers are preaching and teaching and things like that. So you can support us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That's a great way to support us. And of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute. You could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we cannot keep doing what we're doing without it. All right, moving along, we're going to check in now with the Faith Chapel Christian Center out there in Birmingham, Alabama. The, The folks that spent the $26 million to build a teen dance club and a 12-lane bowling alley and a fitness center and all that kind of stuff and just kind of figure out what kind of teaching leads to, you know, leads a church to, you know, pony up 26 million bucks for um, such a thing. Well, here's uh, Dr. Um, Michael Moore, and, and you'll kind of get the idea what they're up to. Here we go. Two weeks ago on Wednesdays, teaching on the gospel to the poor. The Gospel to the Poor, this is our third lesson. I want you to turn, please, over to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. This won't be a long series, but we're in our our third lesson. In lesson uh, number one, we discovered that Jesus went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And uh, a part of his agenda was to minister to the poor. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to, to preach the gospel to the poor. And- yeah, the idea there is, is that it's not just financial poverty that's, uh, that's referred to there. 
Uh, that's actually a cross-reference from the book of Isaiah, talking about the fact that to people understand that they're poor, spiritually poor, uh, bankrupt, and they got nothing when it comes to God. And to set the captives free is not talking about literal slaves there. It's talking about slaves, um, you know, to sin, death, and the devil. So, yeah, there's there's more to it than that. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the gospel to the poor. There's nothing good about being poor. So Jesus came to preach the word to the poor because the answer to the poor man is not more money. The answer to the poor man is the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. Now, last week, last Wednesday. Yeah, the gospel of the kingdom. Um, Rather than repentance and the forgiveness of sins, it's the, quote, gospel of the kingdom. This sounds like it's kind of in the same vein of teaching as we heard from Miles Monroe. We ask and answer the question, well, what's wrong with poverty? What's wrong with being poor? And we gave you some biblical reasons why poverty is not a, a good thing individually, and it's certainly not a good thing in terms of the church and the impact that we are called to make on, in the world. Now, let's, let's look at something else today. We're going to look at a major roadblock to people receiving the gospel. There's a major roadblock, and that roadblock is this perception that Jesus and the disciples were poor people. And since they were poor, who are we to think that we can prosper when Jesus, the Lamb of God himself, was poor? Hmm. Yeah. Weird. Um. I would just point you know people to you know such important teachings as Jesus, like the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew six nineteen, Jesus speaking. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, something like that. I mean, it doesn't matter if, uh, you know, Jesus was technically not, you know, super-de-duper poor. Um, what matters is, is that he's made it very clear that the you know, Christians are not to be storing up for themselves treasures here on earth. All of this is going to burn. And so there is this perception that people have in Christianum that Jesus was, Jesus and the disciples, just homeless people walking around. So we're going to talk, we're going to look at this false belief. Let's look at Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Yeah, before we look at that one, let's take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, uh, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I'm reading from the authorized King James, the traditional King James, beginning at verse 51. It says, And it came to pass when the time was come that he, Jesus, should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they, the Samaritans, did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. In other words, they did not want him in that city. 
And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the son of man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That's good news, isn't it? And they went to another village and it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Now that's an emotional commitment he's making here. He's, he's, he's excited. Like we get, sometimes we get real excited and we make emotional uh, commitments So Jesus wanted to sell him down and count the cost. So in verse 58, he says, Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Mm-hmm. Sounds like Jesus uh, wasn't building um, mansions for himself uh, on the uh, Sea of Galilee. You know, what a great view I'm sure Jesus could have had, you know, if he had just, you know, built himself a really large home overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Traditionally, this verse has been used to validate the belief that Jesus was homeless, that he was just kind of walking around trying to find somewhere to stay. You know, kind of living under the bridge, you know, trying to find something to eat, just scrounging around trying to find something to eat. Yeah, that's kind of a straw man. The text itself shows that Jesus, well, was practicing what he was preaching and wasn't storing up for himself himself treasures here on earth. Uh, Yeah, whether or not he was homeless, I don't think the text kind of goes that way. But what you're doing is, is you're misusing how people point out that this is a passage that shows that Jesus wasn't into, uh, you know, storing up stuff for himself here. Lamb of God, you know, just homeless, you know what I mean? Trying to get a handout from somebody. So for years, the Christian church at large has viewed Jesus and the disciples as poor, holy, but homeless. First Peter 2.21 instructs believers to follow any steps. So if we're instructed to follow any steps and Jesus was poor or Jesus was homeless, then how can we Christians expect to live a lavish or even not lavish, just a above average lifestyle if the Lamb of God himself was poor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I mean, we Christians, we're supposed to live a lavish lifestyle, you know, because we're into the word of faith heresy, you know. Uh, that means we believe that, uh, you know, you can name it and claim it and that you can be healthy and wealthy and that that's a sign of, what you know, and so here they've got a problem, you know. What do you do when, you know, you don't, you don't want people learning what that Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures here on earth. You know, and as I said earlier, Luke chapter nine, verse 58 has been used as a proof text to prove since the birds of the air have nests, they have a home. Foxes have holes, they have a home. 
But since Jesus himself said, be had nowhere to lay his head, so we really shouldn't be able to find him nowhere being able to lay his head. You know, just out in the open air, trying to put a rock on his head to take a nap. So this verse, Luke 9, verse 58, must be read in the context of Luke 9, 51 through 57. And if it's read in this context, then the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head here in Samaria. If we read it in that context, then he's saying, I have nowhere to lay my head here in Samaria. Oh, so, yeah, Jesus was saying, you know, the guy's saying, I, I want to come follow you. And Jesus saying, hey, listen, I got no place to, you know, lay my head just here in Samaria. <laughs> yeah, how long does it take to get through Samaria? Uh, not very long. See, this this is a twisting of God's word. This guy is trying to find a way to justify his lavish lifestyle, including building at their church a 12-lane bowling alley, a teen dance club, a fitness center, and stuff like that. You know, In a broader sense, though, I believe what Jesus is doing is challenging this man to make a real commitment that's beyond just emotions. Jesus, and, and I'll give you some points that I believe Jesus was trying to communicate to the man. Jesus, among other things, was a traveling evangelist. So as a traveling evangelist, he's constantly on the move. So if you're going to be with Jesus, you've got to be on the move. Amen. In other words, if you're going to be with him, you, 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 you have to be ready to pick up at any moment and go from one city to another city. Jesus was sometimes accepted in places and other times rejected. So he's saying to the man, if you're going to follow me, you have to be ready for those kinds of situations. Sometimes people are going to cheer me on. Sometimes people are going to reject me. Count the cost. This man was challenged to count the cost of being involved in a controversial, controversial uh, itinerant ministry. So Jesus wasn't just a minister gift. He's very controversial. I mean, you know, there, there were people who wanted to stone him. There were people who celebrated him. There were people who hated him. So it wasn't like he just had an average ministry. So while it is true that in scripture, we Christians are identified with Jesus, it is also true that there is a huge difference between Jesus' mission and goals and ours. So let me list some of the difference between Jesus' mission and Jesus' goals. So when we're comparing ourselves to him, we need to at least understand these distinctions. Number one, Jesus didn't come to set up homestead. I don't know about you, but I plan to be around here a while. Amen. You know, I got Miss Pete, you know, and I got Lexi. I got Mike, Tiffany, and I found out son, I got a baby girl on the way. And that, yeah, I got a baby girl, uh, grandbaby girl, grandbaby girl, grandbaby girl. Oh, yeah. See, Jesus wasn't planning on being around for a while. But since we're, you know, since we are, you know, then we can, you know, store up treasures for ourselves here on Earth. Yeah, you get you see what's going on here. So, uh, yeah, that, that tells you something about a church that, you know, was uh, um, got itself a bowling alley, a teen dance club, a fitness center and 
you know, the ch- people of the church, you know, they ponied up, you know, 26 million bucks, you know, for all of these lavish amenities. Yeah. And of course, the justification is, is that, hey, we're, we're pl- we plan on being around here for a while, you know. And, uh, you, you know, and, 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 and people twisting God's word if they're saying that Jesus was poor and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. This should tell you that there's something terribly wrong with their theology. Moving along. Yeah, that's right. Time for a Cindy Jacobs update. Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. They'll take over the world. The pinky and the brain, yes, pinky and the brain. The twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overflow the earth. The pinky, the pinky and the brain, 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 brain. Exactly. Did Sidney Jacobs uh, learn how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? You know, receive direct revelation and prophecy from God, the Holy Spirit himself. Well, here's um, Sidney Jacobs and her son to discuss the topic. What do you do when you receive a prophetic word? Yeah, here we go. I'm here in studio with my son, Daniel Jacobs, and uh, we got a really great topic to talk about. We do. Yeah. Basically, somebody gives you a word, you get a prophecy. What do you do with it? Yeah, well, that is the question. I, yeah. mean, I think that's a question that everyone asks. Yeah. And, and honestly, I don't feel like we ever really give the person the answer that they need because I feel like it's always very generic. But I think that you could probably, considering you've been doing it for long as you have. Um, how did you learn how to hear God? Uh-huh. So notice... Uh, <clears throat> Cindy Jacobs' son notices the um, the vagaries of these um, teachings that are offered by her, you know, by his mother and other people in this new apostolic reformation and those claiming to receive direct revelation from God. So straight up, here's the question. How did you learn to hear from God? Well, here we go. You ready for the answer? Well... I think to some, trial and error. You know, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense, just... Trial and error. So how did you learn to hear the voice of God? You know, whew, it was challenging. You know, it, it was a lot of trial and error, you know? Um, <laughs> seriously, so um, if God's talking to you, it, it's really difficult to figure out if that's actually God? Hmm, Yeah. You know what's funny is is that every time God talks to me, I know it's God. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, wow, Chris, h- how is that possible? Well, it's real simple because Scripture says that all Scripture mm-hmm, is theonoustos, breathed out by God. So the written Word of God, that's the Word of God, the very inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God. So I know I'm hearing the voice of God when I'm reading God's Word. The Bible. Yeah, no joke. I mean, it's just that simple. And 100% of the time, I can know that I'm hearing the, you know, the voice of God. And if I want to hear the voice of God audibly, well, I just need to read the Bible out loud or attend a church where they actually read the scriptures out loud. 
It's that simple. Hmm, but that's not what she's talking about. She, there's this trial and error thing. Tell us some more, Cindy. You know, uh, I try to do something, you know, then I realize, no, that voice I heard wasn't God. You know, I mean, nothing that's not against, I mean, nothing that would be anti-biblical. Sure. Uh So trial and error, and you think, oh, that's the voice of God, and you go, oh, whoops, I guess it wasn't. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you have confidence now in uh, people like Cindy Jacobs? You know, who learned to, quote, unquote, hear the voice of God by trial and error? You know, there were some words I got yeah. that that seemed strange to me. And a, a prophetic word is like a roadmap to your destiny. Mm-hmm. Prophetic word's a roadmap to your destiny. It's weird because Scripture says that, you know, the spirit of the prophets or the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Yeah, it's in the book of Revelation. People think, okay, I got this word. I just sit and wait for it to happen. Mm-hmm. Okay, come on, God, do it. But that's not the case. In fact, Paul told Timothy in First uh, Timothy one eighteen, this charge I commit you to son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, by them you wage a good warfare. So, you know, if you if you get a prophetic word and it's really God. You tested it. It's scriptural. You get a prophetic word, and it's and it's really God. This time, it, yeah, okay, listen. So we can say with, uh, you know, plus or minus, you know, 50% um, that we're hearing or not hearing from God. And so we kind of have to figure this out via trial and error. This is no way to run your life. I mean... This, I mean, this is like, this to me sounds like the, the so-called Christian equivalent, and you have to put that in air quotes, uh, the Christian equivalent of, you know, going to see an astrologer, you know, who may or may not be telling you quite exactly what's coming down the pike, and they may or may not be really getting real valid information, but you need to, you know, and you, you know pay your money anyway, especially your tithe, and, you know, and, and maybe that'll improve their accuracy. It's in line with God's character and nature. You get the right timing of it and all those things. Well, if you get a word, then you need to take it and look and say, okay, what if you get a prophecy? You're going to be a pastor. Mm -hmm. And you feel like, yeah, I'm going to be a pastor. Well, go to Bible school. You know, that became your roadmap. I mean, it's just sometimes people aren't common sense. You know, sometimes you just need to take a look and say, what do I do to cooperate with that word? Now, notice she didn't really even answer her own son's question. The answer was, how did you learn to hear God? And pretty much about the only answer we got directly to the actual question was trial and error. Sometimes there's being resisted. You know, uh, a lot of times I find people with the highest callings and destinies have the greatest warfare. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know... um, like, you know, you had a word over your life. Your dad had a dream that you're going to be born a couple of years before you were born. And then what we've, you know, there's been a battle. You know, you shared recently we were doing um, just a dialogue. That was a battle, wasn't it? A little bit. You didn't look like you were doing that word. Okay? <laughs> I mean, you, know, you were going to be, you know, a great man of God and all this, you know. And uh, uh, so 
I think I think for you, Daniel, like what what do you do if you hear something? Some you've had so many you just blow off, right? You know, but if you really know it's a word. Right. Well yeah, I've had I've had a few and I think probably most guys, especially when I was single, you get these words. Like I think I told you about it when I was at a conference and two or three girls came up to me and said, you know, I feel the Lord has told me that I'm your wife. At the Really? Two or three of them? Well, that's awkward, you know, because poly- polygamy is not, well, it's currently not legal in the United States. Give it a couple of years. I'm sure it will be again, you know. Event. And I said, well, <laughs> at the very least, definitely two of you are wrong for sure. So for the first thing I do is if it doesn't instantly resonate with where I'm at, then I just I just put it on the shelf entirely. Okay, so your test as to whether or not something is an actual word from God is the it must resonate with where I'm at test. Mm-hmm. What does that sentence even mean? And where in the Bible are we to find the it must resonate with where you're at test? You know, there's a real simple explanation, very simple explanation for all of this. And that is, is that none of these people are hearing from God, the Holy Spirit. They're not. They're chasing after, uh, you know, something that, well, ended with the apostles. That's just the best way to put it. And again, I would point you to my Misty Chicks uh, lecture to uh, go along with that, uh, you know, if you want more details. But um, in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, it makes it very clear uh, there's a time prophecy regarding the Messiah and what he would accomplish and what he would do. Uh, you know, you know, put away iniquity, atone for sin, things like that. But along with the messianic time prophecy in the book of Hebrews is the sealing of prophecy. And Hebrews 1, 1 says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So the real simple explanation is is that all these people in the New Apostolic Reformation who are chasing after the you know the latest so-called winds and experiences and movements of the spirit and claiming that they're receiving prophetic utterances and who've learned how to hear the voice of God through trial and error or by learning how to uh, distinguish as to whether or not something is truly from God by determining whether or not it resonates with where you're at right now which by the way is complete nonsense and confusion they're not paying attention to the Bible. Okay, these ty- this this per- particular gift is sealed, and it's tied to the time prophecy in Hebrews, not Hebrews, but uh, Daniel chapter nine. So yeah, um, you know, you want to hear the voice of God? Open up your Bible. All Scripture is profitable for teaching, correcting, training, rebuking, all that kind of stuff, right? So that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. There isn't a good work that God cannot and will not equip you for as a Christian through the written Word of God. And as for that other stuff, it is absolute confusion and nonsense, and these people are not hearing from God the Holy Spirit. And the sheer test of that, by the way, is the fact that they can't rightly handle a biblical text to save their life. If God the Holy Spirit is speaking through them, why would he choose to speak through people who cannot rightly handle and teach his Word? 
Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. All right, we are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break, when we come back, we'll be listening to a sermon about time management and time margin and stuff like that. I mean, who knew that this is what the Bible's all about? Yeah, stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. No, seriously. Starfleet wouldn't have lasted two minutes against the Death Star. Say what you want, dude. Why can't you admit that Star Trek created proton torpedoes first? So what are you saying? Without proton torpedoes, Luke Skywalker would never have been able to destroy the Death Star in the first place. Nuh-uh, bro. He had the Force. You mean metachlorians? That never happened. Those movies were just bad fanfics. Have you two seen any Daleks around here? Uh, no. That's funny. We just picked up a distress signal and decided to check it out. Well, we haven't seen any... Come on, you two! Get in! Run! Never fear, nerds of the world. It doesn't matter whether you're into Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who. Think Geek has something for almost every fandom around. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. We're back, hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. Another one of these purpose-driven type sermons. Do you suffer from lack of time margin in your life? Well, don't worry, Jesus has a solution for that problem. Yeah, who knew that Jesus was all about you experiencing more time margin? If you don't know what I'm talking about, stay tuned. We'll get right to it, but let's do this right. Here we go. Good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Keystone Church, Keller, Texas. Brandon Thomas presiding. 
name of the sermon series is Margin. The name of the sermon is Time Margin. Here's the description for this particular sermon. Do you ever feel overloaded? Stretched to the limit? You can't sleep at night because you're thinking about the stack of bills, or maybe you always feel worn out or overscheduled or are underfunded or overspent. You might have lost that precious commodity known as margin. When we regain our margin, we find space for rest, family, and financial peace. Without margin, you have no room for error and the most important areas of your life. In our summertime series, Margin, Pastor Brandon Thomas will walk us through God's design for money, time, and rest, and will show us how to find rhythm in our lives and discover the blessing of margin. Yeah, um, can I just ask the obvious question before we even get this sermon started? Where, Which verses in the Bible can I go to to find the all-important, you know, fundamental teaching from Jesus and the prophets and the apostles talking about the importance of holy, blessed margin. Yeah, I can't think of any passages, which basically tells you what we're going to get here from the outset, from before we even open up a Bible, it's not going to be biblical. That's right. So without any further ado, here's Brandon Thomas from Keystone Church, Keller, Texas, and time margin. Here we go. I just want to, man, let me tell you, one campus, two locations, North Fort Worth. I hope you're doing awesome. And at both of our campuses, we want to welcome, can we do it together, all of our guests. Let's welcome all of our guests. We're so glad that you're here. We really are. Um, You could be doing anything right now, and you're here. And we believe God has you here for a purpose. You know, I I love following um, not just any kind of rumor. I love following technology rumors. You know, I love to kind of find out what's coming, what's happening, what's on the horizon. And there's some latest rumors coming out of Apple headquarters. Okay. Anybody follow all that kind of stuff? Are you like that? I'm like that. I'm following the latest rumors coming out of Apple HQ that the next greatest best thing is coming, the iWatch. Now, we don't know what the iWatch looks like, but people have tried to figure out what it looks like. They're, like, trying to figure it out. So there's multicolored iWatch. There's slap bracelet kind of iWatch. There's all kinds of crazy cool designs. But they say this fall that the iWatch will flood our culture, that they're, they're releasing, like, 3 million of them into our culture. And, and let me tell you, they're going to be swapped up. They're going to be consumed, bought. People will be lining up, camping out in South Lake Town Square. You know, they'll be doing it. Why? Because we love the latest, greatest thing. And here's the thing. They're saying this, this is a revolution. It's the next revolution. We, we did the iPad. We did the iPod. We've done the, the, the Mac, the Mac mini, the thin, the whatever. This is the latest revolution. And this revolution of technology, this revolution of the merging of technology and fashion will help you lose stress, get rid of stress. It will help you slow down. It will help you get more done. It will help you become more efficient. It will increase your quality of life. Now, here's a question. Has that promise from technology ever delivered? (laughs) Here's the thing that happens with technology. I love technology. We hope you're using technology right now. One of the things we love with technology is you get to post, tweet, 
Instagram, Facebook, what God is doing in your life right now in this service during our time together at Keystone in real time. You can share that with your friends. I love the miracle of technology. I love Bible apps and I love iPods and iPads and I love music you can download from some cloud somewhere. I don't understand it, but I love it. You know, I love all that stuff. But when it says that technology is the great hope, technology will slow your life down. More often, what do we see? Our life has not slowed down. Our life has sped up. Why? Why? Because of the premise of this whole series that there is a heart issue. You see, if you have a time management issue, that deep down is a heart issue. Behind every... If by heart issue, you mean uh, as a consequence of, well, our sinful, corrupt human nature, because we're all born dead in trespasses and sins, well, maybe you got a point. Schedule problem, there is at its base a heart problem. And today we're in a series called Margin. And I think a lot of us would love some margin when it comes to our time. See, margin is this. If you're saying, what's margin? What is this? I'm just jumping in today for the first time. We always have a ton of guests here at Keystone. I'm jumping in for the first time. What do you mean margin? Here's a working definition that we've used for margin. Margin is the space between what we need and what we have. It's the space between, space between, the space between what we need, (laughs) children of the 90s, Dave Matthews Band, the space between what we need and what we have. So last weekend we talked about money margin. That means you have money left over. That's margin. Did, Did you get that definition from the Bible? Margin. The space between what you need to pay bills, take care of business, and what you have. There's money left over, money margin. We believe God wants you to have margin for life, the space between. And there is space, I believe, God wants you to have space, margin, for your time. Margin for your schedule. Rest. Time to read a book. Early to an appointment. Space. Margin. Now, many of us might make the mistake, though. As you're jumping in, maybe for the first time in this series, to say, that's right. If I could just have money left over at the end of the month, if I could just have time for family time, then I would be happy. Let me warn you, that's not where we're headed today. Happiness is not, margin does not produce happiness. True happiness produces margin. This is a, this is a key for our whole series. Happiness does not, margin does not produce happiness. True happiness produces margin. So what did we said from day one? Find true happiness. God will walk you into true margin. Let God identify the hard places in our hearts. Let God resolve where our ultimate allegiance and affection lies. And when you give God full sway in your heart, he will hand walk you into margin. And yes, I'm yeah. Where in the Bible does it say God's going to hand walk me into margin? I'd like to see that passage, please. I mean, money margin. I mean, emotional margin next weekend. We'll hear an incredible message on emotional margin. It's going to blow your mind. Relational margin. And today time margin, but it comes when you identify the heart of the matter. So So what you've done is basically make God promise something that his word doesn't say that he promises. That would be time margin. 
or margin at all. Again, where in the Bible does it say that if you get your heart issues right, that God's going to p- supply margin for you? Where does it say that? When I ask you to do something. If you'd say, if you've ever said, I'd love more time to fill in the blank. Anybody ever said that? I'd love more time to fill in the blank. Would you raise your hand? I'd love more time. Now, don't lie in church. You know what happens. If you believe in a God, okay, here it is. I'd love more time to fill in the blank. Now, what I want you to do is turn to your neighbor. Neighbor is the person next to you. Turn to your neighbor and tell them how you would fill in that blank. I'd love more time to get more done. I'd love more time to mow the lawn. I'd love more time to rest. I'd love more time to play video games if you're willing to admit that. Whatever it may be. Come on, tell somebody. Tell somebody. You got it? Uh, yeah, that seems like a total waste in church. How would you do it? Now, what if I could tell you that God would like to give you two more hours in your day? Like God's like, 24 hours, that's so 90s. Let's go 26. God just all of a sudden said, I'm going to give you two more hours. How might you fill those two hours? How would you fill those two hours? And, And you know how you know how to answer that question? The next question, how are you filling it now? You see, however you're spending your time now, you would spend it with two extra hours. I promise you. You know why? It's a heart issue. Where is your heart? There is your schedule. Where is your heart? There is your time. In Ephesians chapter 5, this is a bit of our anchor. Okay, so our first verse to supposedly give a biblical underpinning for this margin doctrine is found in Ephesians 5. Scripturally for today. Check this out, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. The Bible says, be careful how you live. Be careful. Listen to that word. Be careful how you live. What he's saying is turn your mind on when it comes to how you live, your daily decisions, your daily activities. Yes, even scheduling, even time. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Ah, so Ephesians 5.15 is all about God promising us margin. Mm -hmm. Out of context, here's what it says. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So there you go. Making the best of the time because the days are evil. Verse 16 says that. Making the best of the time because the days are evil. Hmm, That's not talking about time management per se, is it? Yeah, okay, so we've got a major problem here. Next, verse 16, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, turn on your mind. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Uh Uh-huh, and where is the promise for margin in that verse again? I'm not seeing it. This is kind of like our anchor our foundation, our blueprint scripturally for God's sweet spot for your life. God wants to walk you into margin. Yeah, Ephesians 5 doesn't say that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, the the Bible says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And No, you see, now you're paraphrasing it. It's seek first the kingdom of God and his 
righteousness, not your own, his, that would be the righteousness that comes by faith, and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, and the things he was talking about are our earthly needs. Um, there's no promise in there regarding margin, and you've left the part out about his righteousness. And live righteously, and he'll give you everything. Yeah, the text doesn't say, and live righteously. That does not, that, that's not what the text says. Seek first the kingdom of God and his, God's righteousness. It doesn't say, and live righteously. Boy, that's just terrible. What translation are you reading from? You need. As you give God full sway in your heart, he will walk you into the margin you need. He will walk... Yeah, you keep sticking margin into these texts. You're eisegeting. That means to read something into the text that's not there. You're not exegeting. Walk you into the rest you need. He'll walk you into the activity that's wise. Don't be thoughtless, be thoughtful. Be careful, not careless. God says there is a rhythm for your life, or maybe we should say there's a temperature. Uh, where does it say that there's a rhythm or a temperature? Uh, neither Matthew 6 or Ephesians 5 say that. There's a time temperature, a sweet spot for your life that God has for you that walks you into a happier place. That wa- Yeah, you're just making that up. Walks you into a true satisfaction, and it comes when you give God full sway in your life. He begins to... Re- yeah, so you get margin by works, huh? not by grace. Got it. Yeah, again... None of these passages you're quoting are saying that at all. You're sticking it in, though. Reorder the priorities of your life. He rearranges the furniture in your heart. He re-wallpapers the walls of your mind. And when you give God total control, full sway, believing that Christ is who he said he was, that he died on a cross to, to deal with our sin, that he conquered death, came back to life to give us new life then the same power that raised Christ from the grave is available for you at the point of your money, at the point of your relationship. Oh, I see. So the whole point of the cross was to give you margin. Yeah, you're totally twisting the gospel now. Relationships at the point of your marriage, at the point of every aspect of your life, and yes, even your time. So if there is a temperature for time, the right temperature, it's kind of like... A temperature for time. That's like saying there's a taste for colors. I mean, this is ridiculous. The story of the three bears. Let's go deep here at Keystone, shall we? You're going to do what? You're going to go to the story of the three bears? Are we? I, are you going to quote it more accurately than you have the Bible? The story of the three bears. Anybody remember the, if I know my church, you know this story. The story of the three bears. One of those bowls of soup was too what? Hot. One of those bowls was what? Too cold. But one of those bowls, it was just right, okay? So when it comes to your time, you want to be like the good bowl. You don't want to be too hot. You don't want to be too cold. What do we want to do, Keystone? Why are you preaching that we don't want to be too hot or too cold from the story of the three bears from a sermon? This doesn't make any sense. The story of the three bears is not biblical. How can you say that God wants me to pick out the right temperature, not too hot, not too cold kind of thing? The only time I refer to, you know, I can think of Jesus talking about not, neither being hot nor cold is, uh, re- was it regarding the church in Laodicea? That they were only lukewarm, they were neither hot nor cold, so Jesus was going to spew them out of his mouth. 
just right. Okay, so let's do it together. I love this. This keeps us awake if you didn't have your caffeine. All right? You don't want to be too what? Hot. You don't want to be too what? Cold. You want to be what? Just right. Okay, so here it is. I love it. This is so fun. Let's have fun in church. Let's talk about being too cold. To understand the right temperature, you got to know the wrong temperature. Have you ever have you ever gotten something at a restaurant and it was the wrong temperature? There's nothing worse. You're sitting at a restaurant and it comes out and it's cold. You just feel betrayed, right? You're just like, I, th- I had a relationship with you. That relationship has been broken. How am I going to get over this, you know? But uh, <laughs> truthfully, though, there's nothing like a cold meal. It's not good. Uh, too cool. And concerning your time is when you are underworked, too cool, underworked. Now, what am I talking about here? You're too cool. You're underworked when you are L-A-Z-Y. You ain't got no alibi. You lazy. Anybody feeling me? Don't raise your hand. All right. So, and, and let me go ahead and say this. Let's keep the elbowing to a minimal I, I mean, we've had people with tears in their eyes this whole weekend from the, uh, so let's just, let's not judge. All right. Let's just say, okay, God has something to say to me and my neighbor. All right. So underworked, lazy, listen to this in Proverbs chapter six, verse six it says, take a lesson from the ants. You lazy bones. Is that awesome? Or what? Take a lesson from the ants. You what keystone? Lazy bones, learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. But you, say it, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest And poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Lazy bones. Let's talk about laziness. Let's talk about laziness. All right. So we're going to hear about the sin of laziness, which the Bible does address. I'm glad, you know, some people call it sloth, but okay. Laziness is a condition of the heart. And today, if we could do some good hard work, on our heart at the point of laziness or the tendency to be lazy, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. So let's not just say, yeah, yeah, lazy. No, no, no. Let's go deeper. What is the heart behind the laziness? Heart number one, fear. Fear. Huh? Serious? We continue. One of the reasons you may lean toward lazy is because of fear. Deep down, underneath the surface, there may be something inside of there that is fearful of the pain that you're going to feel when you have to work hard. Has, have you ever had like an adult when you were a kid say to you, man, you're just afraid of a little hard work. Anybody ever say that? Again, no, no hands raised, please. But man, you're just afraid of a little hard work. You're afraid of a hard day's work. You're just afraid. You know what? Maybe you are. You look at what's ahead of you, and it is huge, and it's intimidating, and it's a mountain, and it feels painful. It feels painful. Could we have the courage to say, maybe I lean lazy because it's uncomfortable, because it's painful, and I'm just afraid of that. Second heart behind lazy might be negativity. 
negativity. Have you ever run across a no person? A no person? I heard a yes. Somebody just had church. Have you ever come across a no person? Hey, so can we have that by Monday? Ah, I mean, you just stabbed them. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Let me help you with no person negativity. Negativity is not God's sweet spot for your life. You say, I just come by it. Honestly, God's sweet spot for my life. (laughs) What? What is this doctrine? Honestly, you need to get rid of it. God's not negative. God is not negative. Do you think when God was looking at the greatest work ever, ever, ever in the cosmic universe, namely creation, do you think God looked at that supernaturally impossible task of creating the heavens and the earth, the birds and the fish, and yes, even people, and as he looked at that creation, he was halfway in, did he look and say, oh, man, this is a whip. I don't know if I can, we're good here, birds, I can fish, you know, I've got deer, I can hunt, I don't need people, people drive me crazy anyway, they're just going to betray me and slap my face all day and spit in my name, I don't need. <laughs> I feel like at the moment we are theologically off-roading, we, we, there, there are no roads where we're heading at the moment, I don't know what to make of this. No, he wasn't a negative no person. Negativity is not in God's flow for your life. Jesus, the son. <laughs> this is getting so negativity is not in God's flow because it's not within the sweet spot. You know, can you can find that in like you know Fourth Hezekiah chapter ninety-seven? Son of God, what did he say? He said, "If you just have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move that mountain." And in that flow. <laughs> Oh, this is getting like hermeneutically absurd. Of positivity, we call it faith. In that flow of faith, what do we know? We know that there have been some marriage mountains in this house that have been moved. We've had <laughs> marriage mountains have been moved. Really, <laughs> I don't know how much, how far I'm going to be able to make through this sermon. This, this is just getting ridiculous. I mean, it's like he's not even attempting at all to actually rightly handle any biblical text. And now we've got marriage mountains in the sweet spot and the anti-negativity flow thingy, you know. Yeah, I mean, and are aliens next? Had some addiction mountains that have been moved. We've had some some insecurity mountains that have been moved. We've seen those mountains move, but it doesn't come when you live in the negative no-nilly. Yeah, I think you need some hermeneutical mountains moved. God says negativity could lean you toward lazy. What else? Uh, no, he doesn't say that anywhere. What else? You're going to be shocked at this one. Lust. 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 You say lust and lust. <laughs> so lust now is playing into your lack of time margin. Please explain. Lazy? What? Yes, lust. Now, what am I talking about when I say lust? I'm talking about the deep heart urge that wants to put your hands on something that God has not given you. I'm talking about what the Bible would call the lust of the flesh. In other ways, it could be saying just going with whatever your heart desires. I want it, I grab it. I want it, I see it. I want it, I taste it. I want it, I eat it. I want it, I grab it. With our kids... 
this issue of lust of the flesh, of just being driven by your desires, is a constant source of guidance. It's a constant source of shepherding in our home where we find ourselves saying, right now, you just want what you want, don't you? Anybody ever feel that way? Oh, you just want what you want. You see, somewhere in our life, there must come a place where we have an internal control mechanism. It's called self-discipline, where you say, I want that right now, but that is not wise for me right now. I want that right now, but this is not the time. I want that right now, but that whole can of Pringles at 1 a.m. is not good for the waistline. I want that. Self-control. Don't just put your hands on things that are not appropriate. Laziness is doing what you want, when you want, how you want, and nobody's going to tell you otherwise. It could be lust of the flesh. Another heart issue possibly with laziness is my last one here. Beneath the surface is lack of purpose. Lack of purpose. Have you lost your purpose? A lack of a sense of identity, a lack of a sense of purpose can lead you to sit on the sidelines. <laughs> so are you suffering from a lack of purpose? Yeah, it's clearly going to affect your time margin. You win the game. It can happen whenever your identity was wrapped up in a logo that you had on your little company shirt. You wore it every single day. Then you got laid off and you're like, what am I going to wear? Your identity was in, I'm Brandon, vice president of, and then you're just Brandon. I don't know what I'm talking about is real. It's easy to get. What you're talking about isn't even lucid. How could it be real? Your identity and your ego wrapped up in your logo and you miss your true sense of purpose that can withstand the layoff, that can course through the downturn. Listen, a lack of purpose can put you on the bench. And you say, okay, so you're going to tell me what my future career will be? No, no, no. I have a purpose that can course through multiple careers. And that is, it's simply, you follow Jesus and purpose will fill your life. You follow Jesus and purpose will fill your life. It's simple. You've been blessed, bless others. You've been served, serve others. You've been saved, save others. And it's amazing how when you get in God's game for your life, purpose follows you. Purpose fills you. The thing is, we fill our life with errant purposes. God says, if you have a strong sense of purpose for your life, it'll help you kick back from laziness, from laziness. Another word for laziness is what? Old school, King James, sloth. Anybody ever hear that word, sloth? Did you know that in the heart of many of us, there is a sloth monster, and we need strategies to kill the sloth monster, don't we? Let's look. <laughs> I don't know what I'm listening to anymore. This is weird. Identify some practical strategies. What did the Bible say? The Bible says be wise. The Bible says be careful. The Bible says apply wisdom. Don't be thoughtless. Turn on your brain. So what are some practical ways that we can kill the sloth, slay the sloth monster? Number one, confess and turn. You see, if it really is a heart issue, then you've got to start at the heart where you go to God, where you say, God, I've asked you, and maybe you haven't, but today you could. Ask God, step out of heaven, make your home in my heart. 
I believe Jesus died for my sins, that he conquered death to give me life. I'm in. I'm all in. All chips are in. I'm, I'm walking on faith. I'm believing what seems impossible, but I'm here. And you say, okay, now that I'm in a relationship with God, there's some things that he's pointing out that are not right. That's what confession is. Confession is when God begins to show you things in your life that are off, and instead of fighting him or arguing with him, you say, you're right. That's confession. Confession is like you're in court, and the judge says you've been charged with this, and you say guilty. That's confession. It's with your mouth that you say, I did. I'm not going to try to excuse. I'm not going to try to blame. I did confession. So if right now God is piercing your heart and you say, you know what? I think I have some lazy tendencies. I think my heart may lean lazy. The first step is God, you're right. A little folding of the hands, a little nodding. I think that's me confess and turn. So here's a prayer. And and truly, I, I mean it. Okay. So we've got something of a solution here. He's recognized that sloth is probably sinful You need to confess and turn. I'm hoping there's going to be forgiveness in here, but it just got really weird there for a second. Now we're back. We've steered back into something a little bit more lucid. If you want to take a picture of the screen so you have it, so you can look at it, so you can blog it or share it or post it or Instagram it, we love that at Keystone Church. Grab it today. Don't let this moment pass you by. Here's a good prayer for you to confess and turn. God, I confess my laziness. I agree with you. I have lazy tendencies or that's where I slipped into. And honestly, if you can pray that one sentence right there, that's a game changer. Just the courage to pray that takes a lot of courage. God, I confess my laziness. It came from a heart of fill in the blank. It came from a heart of sin. Fill in the blank. What? what I'm just doing what I want to do. Came from a heart of <laughs> fill in the blank prayer, unrestrained desires. It came from a heart of fear. You know, I've always been a little afraid of hard work. Man, I feel awful saying it, but it's so you got to psychoanalyze yourself before you can pray this prayer. It's true. God, would you change my heart? Came from a heart of you fill in the blank. It may not even be in our list, but God's pointing it out. Heal my heart and help me today. That's a good. How about what I did was a sin. Please forgive me. You might want to try that. Good prayer for us. That's a life-changing prayer, and it starts with the heart. Now, once you've dealt with the heart, let's get into some hard strategies. Here we go. Remember, be careful. Okay, so hard strategies, and once you apply these strategies, then God's going to start making margin appear in your life. You know, time margin, relationship margin, money margin, and stuff like that. Turn on your brain. Number one, predetermine your morning. You want to fight against, you want to slay the sloth predetermine your morning. Now, this is just practical. <laughs> Hawk, the sloth slayer. Okay. Cool wisdom, but predetermine your morning. Wake up, or the night before, predetermine what your life will be like those first few minutes of waking up. Predetermine your morning and prepare the night before. What does that mean? That means that you have predetermined the value of the next day by saying, I want to go ahead and prepare. And that means I'm going to iron my clothes if they need to be ironed the night before. That means I'm going to go to bed an hour earlier so I can get up an hour earlier. Uh, I'm going to set things out 
And check this. So ha- are we done now even attempting to make this sermon look biblical and you're just, you know, giving time management advice? Is that what we're doing? Oh, I'm going to predetermine my morning by giving God the very first fruits of my day. This will help you with laziness. And one of the ways I like to do that and I like to help others do that is the first thing you consume in the morning is scripture. Now, for some of you, that means that you have a Bible maybe at home, leave it open. Instead of it being closed, leave it open. Someone said that recently. I don't remember who, but I love that application. Leave it open so that whenever you walk by it on your bed st- nightstand or maybe in your right by your sink or wherever you want it to be, in your kitchen table, wherever it would be, that when you walk up to it, the word of God is ready to devour. There it is. Leave it open. Leave it open. For me, uh, it's, a, it's an email I get or a text I get every single day with scripture. I, I somehow found it. I Googled it. I found it. You can Google it too, I'm sure. And I have scripture coming to me every single morning. So I give God the first fruits of my day. Give God the first fruits of your day. Because if you lean lazy, let God correct you before you even mess it up. Let God speak into you before you even mess it up. Predetermine the value of your morning. Uh, Psalm 5, verse 3 says, Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and pray expectantly. Give God your prayers in the morning. Give God scripture. Give God the first fruits of your day. Next, splash water in your face. What? Now, when I say splash water in your face, here's what I really mean. I mean splash water in your face. Okay? Because you don't want to get up, man. Oh, what a whip. I mean, and, and don't the people drive you crazy who, like, as soon as it's time to get up, they're like, happy morning. It's great. I love today. It's a good day. They're, like, doing jazz hands. Ah, you know? Those people, and some of you are married to that person, hold your laughter to a, to a minimum. But I feel you, all right? My seven-year-old son is, he doesn't do jazz hands, but he loves getting up, man. We, we've had to watch it. Like when he like does, you know, stays over at a cousin's house or something, man, he'll get up at like 5 a.m. And we're so embarrassed, you know? Sorry, you know? He's like wandering around the house looking for... He just loves the mornings. I don't know what, what that is. But if you're not like that, splash water in your face. You want to know? I'm serious. Like, go to the sink, get water in your hand, splash it on your face. It'll help wake you up. I'm just keeping it real. It'll help. It, you want to know how I know this to be true? My mama told me. That's good enough. All right? So splash water in your face. And, and you know how I also know this is true? Is when the kids won't get up, we're dead inside as parents. We will spray them on the face with water. Oh, I may be violating scripture where it says, don't provoke your children. I may be, but we will do that from time to time. And Susan has confessed that she does it more than I thought. Anyway, (laughs) next. Oh, what I mean by splash, get the splash water in the face again. What I mean, it's not just the water thing, although that could really help somebody. Uh, It means get, get it going, get it going, do something, you know, if you know, do some pushups or jumping jacks or. That's so old school. Do burpees, <laughs> you know, do whatever it takes to get a little blood pumping and flowing, you know, get you going or wake up early, take a walk. I don't know what it is, but get the blood pumping next dress for the occasion, dress for the occasion. And this, uh, this is, if you lean lazy, you know, help yourself by dressing for the occasion. That means that if you're like a, a wrinkle person, <laughs> 
learn to iron. Just take it up a notch. Just one notch, okay? Find a notch. Wherever you are, raise it one. Because honestly, the way that you present yourself says a lot about how you feel about yourself. And I'm not saying that everybody's all preppy and, you know, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, man, when you dress, be intentional. Don't just roll out of bed with the bed. Hey, what's up? You know, morning breath and all that. Don't do that. Just bring a little A game. Bring a little A game. Dress for the occasion. If you're going to work, dress for the occasion. You know, it's all good. All right. Um, Pray on your way. Pray on your way. We got to pray just to make it today. Pray on your way because prayer prepares. Some of you have a 35-minute commute, 50-minute commute, or a five-minute commute. I encourage you, give the first fruits of that commute to the Lord. And that may be listening to scripture through a Bible app, or it may be silence. And that's a novel idea, but silence, silence. And before you turn on Norm on the ticket or whatever, before you do that, before you turn on ESPN or before you turn on whoever you listen to, before you turn on the music, how about a little, just a a moment of silence for God to, it's amazing some of your best ideas come when you're forced to be silent. Have you ever noticed all your ideas come in the shower? That's because you haven't stopped. So you want me to give God a moment of silence. Right. Shower. You got to you gotta stop. So, um, but here it is. Give God that moment. Pray on your way. Get healthy and exercise. Just practical. You know what that means. Get healthy. One of the reasons you feel bad, you're eating bad. Just start. Get an app that tracks your whatever, fitness or calories or whatever, and that'll help you. Start eating better. Exercise. Get in a rhythm of exercise, regular exercise. I found that really helped me. Get help from others. That's the last one. Get help from others. Just being careful. Be wise. Be thoughtful. Get help from others. If, if it really is something that's gripping your heart and you are not able to untangle that knot on your own, then it might be a real help for you on your connection card, which is in every seat, to write down, I'd love to meet with someone to help me with laziness. And, and we have a group of people called Freedom Team that would love to sit down with you and pray with you and share with you and, and help you untangle that. Or to go to the, even the next level, biblical counseling. Uh, biblical counseling can help you with that. So are you too cold? Are you too cold? Or are you too hot? Too hot. Have you ever noticed, have you, have you ever gotten the chicken soup at Chick-fil-A? Always too hot. Anybody with me? Like always too hot. You know, you don't want something too hot either. Too hot, overworked. Workaholic, overworked. Now, when I originally wrote this message, this was the message. (laughs) Everything from here on. You know why? Because the shoe fit. Truthfully, I'm just confessing it. So at this point, we're just rambling stream of consciousness. Got it. Fit. Too hot overworked. Listen to this. In the 1930s, an economist named John Maynard Keynes, and I may be mispronouncing that, but John Maynard Keynes espoused a theory. He said, when we reach the point that the world produces all the goods that it needs in two days, so in a work week, two days to produce everything we need, then what do you do with the rest of the week? As it inevitably will, we must turn our attention to the great problem of what to do with our leisure. That was in the 30s. That dude was wrong. 
W-R-O-N-G. Tattoo it on his forehead. Stamp it. Wrong. We're busier than ever. In 1967, a testimony before the Senate subcommittee by a scholar and futurist claimed that by 1985, people would be working just 22 hours a week or 27 weeks a year. And they said, man, by 1985, we got to figure out what to do with all this leisure time. Now, here we are. Were they right? Well, isn't that what they do in France? They were wrong. Life has sped up. It has not slowed down. And many of us guilty as charged. So what might be the heart underneath being overworked, workaholic? Heart number one could be ego. Heart number one could be ego. The look at me syndrome, ego, pride. And this is a fine line because God has created you for work. God is in Genesis chapter one and two, Adam and Eve had work before sin crushed it all. They had great work. They were designed to do great jobs. They were designed to, to organize and, and help with produce and animals. And they were designed to build architecture and build civilization and culture and write poetry. They were designed for great work, and that work was fulfilling. They were designed to get the job done. Big Daddy Kane School of Theology. They were designed to get the job done. What happened? Genesis chapter 3, sin broke it all. Sin broke our work. One of the expressions of broken work is you may be doing the right thing and working hard, but where you break bad, where you go wrong is when that work determines your worth. When the work determines your worth. Yeah, man, I was on vacation, but man, my cell phone, it was blowing up, man. Or, yeah, I went, but, man, it took me, like, by the time I finally unwound, it was time to go home. Okay? The, the, The workaholic syndrome is something that we really deal with in our culture. And it can be an ego thing where if you're resting, there's something wrong. See, God has designed you for rest. God worked six days, rested one. By the way, that's not balance. We're not espousing balance here. It's not somewhere in the middle. Balance would be God working three and a half days, resting three and a half days. We're not talking about balance. We're talking about temperature for your time. We're talking about finding the right temperature. We're talking about finding the right rhythm. And God has a rhythm for your life. Work and rest. Work and rest. You got to rest. Next, heart. People pleasing. People pleasing. Some of us, the reason your schedule is slammed is you cannot say no for fear of disappointing someone else. Maybe it's a group of friends. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's an entire group of people that if you live your life the way you know you should live your life, if you organize your schedule as you know is wise to organize your schedule for your particular demands, others won't understand it. Here's a word. Live for the audience of one. People-pleasing syndrome where your worth is determined by others' opinion of you will wreck Wreck your time. Kill your, kill your margin. Next. Again, lust. Same thing. Driven by your desires. Honestly, working feels good. And you want to. You love the affirmation. You love the success of achieving something. You love the fill and the thrill. You love the work. You love the feeling after. You love the feeling of accomplishment. And it's awesome. And you don't like rest. God says you need it. 
at the very least, you need a Sabbath. One day that you commit, that you go and you allow God to fill up your life with life. And that's what you're doing today. I hope today is an example of your Sabbath. Next, a lack of prioritized purpose. See, you think of lazy being a lack of purpose, but understand overworking is a lack of purpose, a lack of prioritized purpose. You may have purpose, but it may... So apparently, you know, having purpose is, you know, part of saving yourself from lack of margin. It may be the wrong purpose. You got to go back. You need to identify what are my priorities and are my priorities reflected on my schedule. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Okay, so here we go. Remember, Ephesians 5, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. So step one, strategy, confess and turn. Deal with the heart. Confess and turn. And here's the prayer, same as last one. Here's the prayer. God, I confess my overwork. It came from a heart of pride. It came from a heart of ego. It came from a heart of people pleasing, whatever it may be. It came from a heart of lack of trust that God's going to make it okay. You know, if you eat what you kill, it's sometimes tough to rest. Sometimes the greatest faith is to take a vacation. It came from a heart of fill in the blank. Heal my heart and help me today. Heal my heart and help me today. Deal with the heart first. Now let's get to hard skills. Number one, ask the big question, is this wise? See, it's not enough to ask the question, is this right or is this wrong? Because most of us, your schedule will be consumed by a ton of good things, but you're killing the great things on the altar of the good things. You have to ask the big question, is this wise? See, wise is the next filter amongst all the good things that says, I want the best things to rise to the surface. I want the best things to rise to the surface. So ask the big question, is this wise? Next, make a new list. If you're a high drive, overwork kind of person, you've got a list. Maybe like three lists, one for every part of your life. You have a check, you've got a box, you've got an app for that. You've got a list. You've got a yellow legal pad if you're my wife. You've got a list, right? Make a new list. How do you do that? First, you start with your current list. And what do I mean by that? Look at your life. Where are these uh, applications found in the Bible again? Uh, yeah, I don't think they're found anywhere. I, yeah, I don't know what this is. Tell me how you're spending your time. Most time, most time, most time, most time. And when you look at your list, you're looking at your life. And some of you would look at that list and say, I don't believe in this list. Because if I were to ask you your priorities, you'd say, God, family, da-da, you know, we say that. But then you look at your list and the tyranny of the urgent has sucked you away from your priorities. Make a new list. Make a new list. And, and you got to be brutal. And this is, this is even hard to preach because I'm preaching to me right now. This is hard to preach. You got to be brutal on your list. And the way to be brutal on your list is you say you take the first few things and you compare them to like number six and seven. And you say out loud, I believe that time on the, on the soccer field is more important than time in the house of God. You have to say it out loud. And I'm not trying to be hard. Y'all know I'm not legalistic. I don't expect you to be here every week. I'm not saying that. I'd love for you to be here every week. That's awesome. We'll high-five each other all the time. I take vacation too. Come on. 
we're all good. We're not talking about that, but we're talking about giving yourself to a swath where you're saying church is a moment and this is our life. I was talking to some Uber sports couple in, in between the service. They are incredibly successful. They have, they do all the tournaments. They drive back. It's hard on them, but they drive back from the tournaments to get their kids in church. And, uh, they're, they just make it a regular practice to make church a priority. And here's what he said. I said, why do you do that, man? Help me preach this point. Help me preach this. Cause your kids are quite frankly, more athletic than mine. So please tell me how to preach this point. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, he said, you know, I look at my kids and I, I, you know, you think about them getting the scholarship and he said, if they were to get the scholarship, you could start fantasizing about them gaining the world. But the last thing I want is for my kids to lose their soul in the process. And I said, well, I'll just say that and let it preach. So do that. And it may not be sports. It may be other things. Now we're saying, okay, so to love Jesus, I can't travel. No, that means when you're home, you're home. That means when you get home, you're not running off to do 12 rounds of golf. You're there. Okay, baby, what do you want to do? You want to go to the mall? Okay. I love you. And if you love me after the mall, you'll let me play golf. (laughs) Right? So you just do it. I can tell you sometimes Susan and I, we will decide we've been running too hard, and I'll get a sitter on a Sunday afternoon, and we will take off and have a long date because we need it for the rhythm of our life. I've told you before, this pastor loves Cabo. I go, I enjoy it. I post pictures. If you don't like it, you're going to have to find another church because I'm going. That goes back to that people-pleasing thing. I love Cabo. No humidity. Love it. Moving on. I'm not going to try to sell you a timeshare or anything, but uh, <laughs> you got you to decide. You know, I don't like no pastor going, <laughs> okay, my family does. They like, they like the vacation. My wife likes our marriage. So, uh, I'll, I'll go that direction. You know, um, you know what I'm saying? So there it is. I lost my way. Okay, here we go. All right, here it is. Next, another good way. Predetermine your morning. Same thing as last predetermine your morning. That first fruit of your day will help you prioritize the right way. It'll help you prioritize predetermine your morning. So do you feel yourself being more sanctified and bearing fruit in in, uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life with all of these little applications? I don't know where he's got got these from, but um, wow. Um, So apparently you could just give, you know, any old advice from the pulpit. It doesn't need to be biblical anymore. And, And this counts as Christian sanctification. So you apply these things and clearly you're more sanctified now and and more like Jesus even though the Bible doesn't teach this stuff. Weird. We continue. Don't get caught up in the rush. Predetermine your morning. Next, calendar your entire life. This has helped us so much. I resisted it. I felt bad about it, but I began to calendar my personal life through my assistant. I mean, that sounds horrible. I mean, I, I, I felt horrible at first. I'm like, really? Do I really have to do this? And Susan was like, yes, you have to do this. Because everything was getting smashed on the altar of good intentions. And I began to discover that until I began to prioritize it by putting a date on the calendar, that it would get run over like a train. 
with my, with my professional obligations, with things that consume my daily tasks. Prioritize your personal life. Date night. Put it on the calendar. You know, uh, kids this, soccer game. Put it on your calendar. Put it on your calendar. And you can have calendars that share, and you can see what each other are up to, and you can help. Put it on your calendar. Calendar your entire life. Next, turn inconveniences into opportunities. We're almost done. Turn inconveniences into opportunities. What does this mean? Yeah, so how do you offer a biblical critique to a sermon that really hasn't even attempted to teach the Bible? Yet the job of a pastor is to preach the word in season and out of season. Is this uh, time management margin sermon a result of uh, the fact that people at Keystone don't want to hear sound doctrine? Yeah, potentially. This means that if you're driving on Keller Smithfield and you get behind a cyclist, and we have lots of cyclists at Keystone Church, and they have informed me and told me that people can be mean. Like, they'll yell at them, cuss at them, throw stuff at them, clip them. Seriously, clip them. I mean, how dead are you inside that you're going to clip somebody? But clip them, road rage, all that. Rather, how about God does a work in our heart, and we get behind the cyclist, and we say, thank you, God, for this cyclist who has given me a moment here to reflect and enjoy the greater things in life. You've given me a moment. Thank you, Jesus. I needed this clearly. Thank you. And then pass them and wave them in love and say, go to Keystone. (laughs) You know, whatever. Um, Turn your inconvenience. That means sometimes you choose the long line. That means that when you're in traffic, like if it's standstill traffic, getting out of your car will not help. What's that? Just chill. Eventually, you're going to get home. I mean, it's not a hurricane. Eventually, you're getting home. So I think this is an example of uh, somebody who's decided to give good advice rather than preach the good news of the gospel. Wait on it. If you can find another route, awesome, but embrace it. God, almost say to yourself, I wouldn't stop myself, so God just stopped me. I wouldn't stop myself, so God just stopped me, and let it be a moment of of teachability. Next, evaluate your entertainment intake. And here we're just being shrewd. Here we're turning on our brains. Here we're practicing the wisdom. Be careful how you live. Don't be thoughtless. Be wise, not foolish. Evaluate your entertainment intake. And I can tell you, as we proceed in life and our schedule gets more full and we get busier and the demands are harder, I could tell you we've gone from three shows to one. And we've gone from every day to a couple of days we won't. And it's because I love something else more. And it's not because entertainment is bad. We still watch show here, show there, and it's great. We have shows we love. And I'm too embarrassed to tell you ones I really like. Truthfully, like, you know, uh, Masterpiece Theater, all that stuff. I love that stuff. I don't know what's wrong with me, but... You know, we love that stuff, and we'll watch it. We'll watch 24. That's awesome. You know, love shows, but we've had to evaluate our entertainment intake, and Susan's been a wonderful help in this regard and just really helped our family just really get shrewd. You've got to decide, man. I love this other thing more. Or if you're doing entertainment, choose things. If you're not having enough family time, have movie night together. You know, do stuff together. Align your priorities. Evaluate your entertainment intake. And then when it comes to tech, less games, more productivity. 
if you really want to get more job done, you want to increase your productivity at like work or in your career, you're hitting a ceiling, you want to go to the next level, less games, more productivity. Again, I told you, no elbows, guys. Come on. Less games, more productivity. In other words, choose apps that help you get things done faster. They really can help. Choose apps that help you forward yourself or remind yourself or be shrewd or be on time or whatever it takes. And then less little waste your time games. And can I tell you, I'm not. Stop inviting me to Candy Crush. I'm not playing. I'm not playing. Okay? (laughs) Somebody's got to help me know how to turn that sucker off. I'm not playing. All right. Uh, Put your tech in timeout. This is a scourge on our culture. We have not yet figured out how to do culture, I mean, do tech in a healthy way. Put your tech in timeout. We have a cell gel, a jail for the sale, a place to put your phones when it's time for family time. Put them somewhere. I'm not against phones. I'm all into technology. I love it. I Instagram. Friend me if you like me. If you don't like me, I'll take it personally, you know. But uh, truthfully, there are times like dinner, don't let it stay in your pocket. (laughs) I mean, you're in pain over there. Just put it over there. Put it over there. Don't let it be that temptation. This is something we've started doing, and it's really, really helped. You just don't want to relate to each other like this. You know, you're like having a conversation by texting. Rather, speak the words. It's really cool. Um, put your tech in time out. And then finally, delegate to elevate. Oh, I have a whole talk on this that I train my staff on. Delegate to elevate. Delegate to elevate. Oh, my goodness. Delegation. The reason you won't delegate is pride. Well, I could just do it so much better. I could do it so much better. Yeah, but let's just take laundry, right? So when I ask my kids to hang up clothes, they do a horrible job. I mean, I almost think they're doing it on purpose, so I won't ask them to do it again. You know, kind of like me at the grocery store. I will not get the list right. You know what I'm saying? Because um, I want her to give up on me, but it hadn't worked yet. But um, I think they're intentionally sabotaging. But, I mean, really, can't you get the shirt on straight? I mean, why does it have to be all whomper jawed where it's going to wrinkle? You know, but here's what I've come to the place is if my job on hanging the shirts is 100%, and they can hit 50, you know, let's go 65% accuracy. Then whatever time I saved by delegating to them, that's time I freed to do more important things than hanging up laundry. Okay. And I had to release my OCD of the perfect laundry because guess what? It's better. It's excellent to have all of your laundry hung rather than it being in a stack where you're going and you're digging through to find the shirt that you're wanting, and then it's wrinkled, and then you got to spray it or whatever or steam it. And No. An excellent house is everything's hung. That's good. Bam. You did good. Even if it's a little whomper jawed, it's better. So here's what I'm advocating. For some of us OCD, understand this. You need to get the T-shirt that says, wheels off to the glory of God. Like, I'm just going to go wheels off right now. It's okay if it's a little messy. Wheels off. It's okay. To the glory of God. I'm going to free up some some time. Maybe I'm going to pay somebody to mow my yard. I'm going to ha- bring somebody in occasionally to help with the house. I'm going to free up some time. We've, we're both creating this income that's creating margin. Let's take some of that margin and buy back some time. Because for some of us, time is more valuable. Buy it back. Delegate 
to elevate, delegate to elevate. And this is a reason to have like 10 kids. It really helps you with all this slave labor. No, anyway, delegate to elevate. But here's the prayer that I want to leave you with today. God, help me find the right temperature for my time. Can we pray that together? Let's pray. Done. Wow. That was a bunch of rambling, non-biblical self-help advice, I guess. But even if you applied all of those applications, you know, granted, you know, some may not help. Some probably might. Does that make you more Christ-like? Is that what it means as a Christian to uh, have your mind transformed or renewed by the Spirit of God? Hardly. Hardly. Yeah, this is a quintessential example of a sermon where everything but God's Word is a higher priority when it comes to what needs to be communicated to the congregation. But the job of pastors to preach the word in season and out of season, and we didn't hear the word rightly preached, came awfully close to hearing the biblical gospel. We heard something about repentance, but it was not hooked up to uh, the forgiveness of sins. So, yeah, major problems there. But, you know, I, I apologize. Kind of the sick irony here is that this sermon about time management really ultimately turned out to be nothing more than a waste of time. Think about it. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions, Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.